0: Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So, a few things apparently happened in the Middle East this week that are uh, worthy of note and conversation. There are many different directions in which I could share some thoughts I have with you, but I'm gonna focus on two or three in particular. Doesn't mean that I don't have other thoughts, doesn't mean I can't exhaust them, but there is some unspoken time limit about how long I'm supposed to be up here <laughs> and how much we can exhaust this topic indeed. But it hasn't stopped the pundits and the armchair quarterbacks and all others from speaking in great detail about the results of the election in Israel. So just a couple of quick facts. The Prime Minister won fairly in a democratic election, indisputable. The fact that the Likud had an overwhelming representation is indeed true, but you should all know that now and always, the parties in Israel are predominantly broken up into three parts, called left-wing governments, right-wing governments, and centrist governments. And if you get to the core of the governing parties in Israel, like the Likud and the labor, there aren't wild differences between them, just like there aren't so many wild differences between the Republicans and the Democrats here. If you were to ask John McCain and Barack Obama what their key points were when they were running for office in 2008, they would tell you, immigration, taxation, the economy, and onward. The differential is how they want to get to that finish line, but they want to address those very problems. And it's not wildly different between the labor and the Likud. But when you look at the left-wing, the center, and the right-wing governments, and you look at the actual number of changes between those three blocks, the left-wing gained one seat. That's it. That's the only differential from where they were to where they are. Yes, Likud got more, and IGOD got less, and a few others happened that way. But the right-wing block compared to the right-wing block of the past election, stayed static. The centrist block compared to the centrist block of the last election, stayed static, and the left-wing block gathered one seat. So in essence, there's a change and no change at the same time, which is so appropriate for Judaism, and so appropriate for our movement and kind of how many of us feel. But I have to speak personally for a minute. And frankly, I don't know where to start. I know where to go, but I don't know where to start. So I'm gonna start by telling you about my schedule tomorrow. At two o'clock tomorrow, Rabbi Friedman and I are boarding a flight and we're going to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we're going to Ann Arbor, Michigan for one reason only, because Ann Arbor, Michigan has more kids from Temple Emmanuel than any other college that we know. Not any other college in the world, but from this synagogue it's the highest representation of where college kids are. I think there are about 16 or 17 kids from our school there. So we're going to go spend a day there and spend time with our college kids there, and then next week we're going to Syracuse, because that's the second highest. And we think it's important to stay in touch with our students. And I'm scared to sit with them. Now I've known most of these kids for almost half their lives. And I've talked to them about all types of things in their life, about who they date. I've talked to them about issues they've had with their parents. I've talked to them about the choice of which school they're going to go to. I've talked to them about all types of things. And I'm blessed to have that relationship. And I feel very fortunate that I have that comfort with them. But I'm afraid now to talk about Israel with them. Now, for those of you who have met me for more than five minutes of your life, you know that I'm never afraid to talk about Israel. And you know that I'm never afraid to talk about what my true beliefs and feelings are. But some things happened over the past week during the course of this election that were very problematic for me and I think have incredibly significant ripple effect on kids on college campuses. And Allow me to tell you what it is. When the pollings came out a few days before the election, the pollsters predicted an overwhelming strength and lead to the Zionist party led by Bougie Herzog and by Tsippi Livni. The Likud Party, currently operating where the Prime Minister indeed was the Prime Minister, was quite afraid that they were going to lose the stronghold and equally afraid that he would lose the premiership. As a result, the Prime Minister said publicly two things that have been very difficult for me. The first thing he said is in a public interview on television, in the viral world that we all live in, he was asked if under his watch as prime minister, if re-elected, there will be a drive for a two-state solution between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And the prime minister unequivocally said no. That if he says it is true, actually, Andy, it is very true. Well, if you'd like to heckle me, you can heckle me some other place. This isn't the place for heckling. But it's true. It's unequivocal. And they was asked, will there be a two-state solution? And he said, indeed, not. There will not be. That was his response. It was clear, it was simple, it was concise. The second thing that he did was that on election day and the day before, he claimed that NGOs, non-government organizations, would be busing people in from Arab villages who have the right to vote legally as Israeli Arabs and have the right even to serve in the army and defend and pay taxation, and that American money for those organizations were funding those people to bring them in, and we needed to try and not necessarily suppress that vote, but to address that vote by coming out in stronger droves which is a hyper-racist statement, and incredibly problematic, for me at least, to swallow. He ended up winning, the Prime Minister, and within 48 to 72 hours, he began to backtrack on his commitment in multiple different news interviews. One with MSNBC, another one with The Journal, and multiple Israeli papers as well. Where he started to say, no, I'm always committed to a two-state solution, but the environment doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. And what she was pushed and said, but according to this interview, you were asked if there would be a two-state solution during your next premiership or not, and you said no. Other people tried to make sense out of this. The most compelling argument was presented in the Wall Street Journal by Charles Krauthammer, who said, it doesn't matter if Bougie Herzog won, there wouldn't be a two-state solution. And I totally agree, Krauthammer's right. Same thing with Barak won or Olmert, and these were left-wing governments, there wouldn't be a two-state solution. Because what Krauthammer was trying to say was very simple. That the Palestinian leadership has never exemplified an outstretched arm towards two-state solution. They were offered it in 1967. They were offered it in 1973. They were offered it in uh, 1995 and in 2000 at Camp David. They were offered it afterwards with the Omer Plan and decidedly rejected it over and over and over. That's all true, unequivocal. I believe in it. But there's a problem. And here's the metaphor of the problem as I see it. The metaphor is that when the New England Patriots get a finger-wagged in their face for deflating balls during the Super Bowl, it is not a fair defense to say all the other teams are doing it too. It's not a fair defense to say when I get a speeding ticket on the Palisades for going 65 miles per hour and cars are passing me at 72, for me to say, but everyone goes 10 to 15 over. That's not a fair defense. And the reason why it's not a fair defense is frankly, because we deserve and demand better and more. And because our counterpart behaves this way, is not a license for us to behave that way too. Because our counterpart decides they want to launch missiles indiscriminately that can fall in kindergartens and nursery schools, that is their prerogative, and it is repulsive, and it is disgusting. But I'm proud of our IDF that has pinpoint accuracy, that tries incredibly hard, with amazing results, to target terrorists and not civilians. And that should give us all a sense of pride. But when we equate ourselves to that level, and we say something just for the purpose of getting reelected, we don't know where the truth lies. Does the truth lie in a state, in an address in 2009 at Barilán University, where the Prime Minister then, at the time, unequivocally committed to a two-state solution? Does the address at that time, unequivocally, connect itself to a time at AIPAC and at the United Nations on more than five occasions where the Prime Minister expressed without reservation or hesitation that he's committed to a two-state solution? Does the time point to the 15 visits where Secretary of State John Kerry came to meet with Mahmoud Abbas and to meet with Bibi Netanyahu and his commitment to a two-state solution? Or does it switch back does it switch back to this statement that he made on the eve of getting elected to garner votes from people in a fringe government? It leaves us all wondering, and it leaves us with a sense of worry, the way that I feel as I head to Michigan, going towards defensive posture, unnecessarily. So. This is the conclusion in which I've come to. Because it's wrong. It's wrong on many fronts. And it's not all decidedly on the Prime Minister's shoulders. There are many to blame in this process. Because as we look at it now, as far as I can see, the President and the Prime Minister are about hip deep, if not further, in a pool of urine from a peeing match that they've had with each other and both committed to not stopping the progress. And what I mean by that is all that happens in this fight between the two of them is a wicked stench and a water that they can't wade through. And any of them can stop the process. And if Barack Obama should think that he should be waving a finger in Prime Minister's face about making promises that he doesn't keep, perhaps he should turn to 2008 because I sat a pitching wedge away from him as he spoke at AIPAC and declared unequivocally that if elected president of the United States, Jerusalem would be the undivided capital of the state of Israel and he would look to soon move the embassy there. And about eight hours later, the very day that he secured the nomination and Hillary Clinton dropped back, he started to retrace his comments and saying that it's going to be up to the two parties to decide how Jerusalem will be divided. So indeed, it seems like all politicians can be cheap at times to get the votes from the audience in which they want. And that is where my problem lies. My problem lies with this notion, that for the past 68 years in particular, but for most of our lives, and when I say lives, I mean the Jewish history and life, we have wrestled with the question, are we a people or are we a religion? By that I mean we're Americans, but some of us are Jews, some of us are Christians, some of us are Muslims, some are atheists and non-believers. But in Israel, the person who goes to the beach on Yom Kippur, is he a people? Or is he part of a religion? And this is the question that's been asked for 68 years, and I've been asking it for 41 years of my life, and I have come to this answer. The answer is absolutely yes. We're both. We are a people, and we are a religion. And that peopleness and that religion demands of us to be an or-la-goyim, a light to other nations. And that peoplehood and that religion means that when a prime minister comes to the United States for better or for worse to talk about whatever existential threats he feels, and he claims emphatically that he speaks on behalf of all the Jewish people, because indeed he says we are a religion and a state, then when he tells a mistruth conveniently to garner votes, he is hurting our religion and our state. And we are better than that. We deserve more than that. My kids come to me every day. Dad, I want a cell phone. Well, Eve, you're not getting a cell phone. You're too young for a cell phone. But Maddie's mom let her have a cell phone, and Michelle's dad got her a cell phone in fourth grade. And my response is very simple. Your dad isn't Maddie's dad, and your mom isn't Michelle's mom, and you're not getting a cell phone. Meaning the standards of others don't get imported to become our standards just because they're doing it. And if Mahmoud Abbas wants to get up in front of the Palestinian Authority and say there will never be a peace with Israel and we will never recognize them, and stand at the UN and say something totally contradictory, shame on him. And he has. But we're above that. And we're better than that. And we shouldn't do that. Why? because we are an orlagoyim, a light to other nations. And just as we wouldn't tolerate a Democrat or a Republican talking about the busing of any one of their particular constituencies that would help push the seesaw to the other side because we would find it racist or bigoted, how dare we accept the taxation and the representation of certain people but look to suppress their vote or counteract their vote by shaming them for what they're doing. That's not what we're about. And if we indeed are a people, and we indeed are a religion, then I argue the premier of our country that represents our peoplehood and our religion has to act with some common denominator of Jewish values. I don't care if they keep kosher or not, and I don't care what Shabbat means to them, whether they choose to drive or not or pray three times a day, that's between them and God. But between them and other people, and those people being you and me and the kids on college campuses that are facing rampant anti-Semitism increasing by the hour, we don't need to fuel that fire and get on their level and behave like they do just because they do. When kids four and five years old in Israel, in America, in Lakewood, New Jersey are preparing to read and learn the Torah for the very first time, they start with Parshat Vayikra. And the reason they start with Parshat Vayikra is simple, because Vayikra is not about a narrative. It's not a storyline. It's just the laws of purity. What we read today are about sacrifices and purity. So the rabbis ask, Why do we teach four- and five-year-olds sacrifices and purity? Can't we teach them about the story of Noah? It's much more compelling. Or Abraham and Sarah, or Jacob and and Rachel and Leah, or Isaac and Rebekah. There's got to be something more compelling to capture the imagination of a four- or five-year-old. And the rabbis answer beautifully by saying, For any person to grow and mature in Judaism... Their foundation has to be pureness, purity, ethics, morals, and values, because if they don't have a solid stance on morals and values, then the narrative has no impact. And that's what we're about. And that's why we're better. And that's why we deserve more. Is he our Prime Minister? of a state that I'm willing to give my life for any day of the week, as best as I can. Not as best as the Israelis do by putting their boys and girls in the army, but absolutely. Is it a state and a country that I believe in without question and without fail? You can't know me for more than two minutes and ever question my allegiance as a Zionist. But just like in this country, we are proud to be American patriots who believe in our country, but exercise our right to question when we believe our leaders have done something wrong, regardless of what part of the aisle they might sit on, we must do the same with our own leadership. And just as we expect police officers to keep the law when they're wearing a uniform and when they're outside of their uniform, and just as we expect elected officials to keep the law when they're walking the halls of Congress, or they're sitting in their living room. We expect religious leaders, and when I say religious leaders, I mean leaders of our religious state, regardless if they wear a yarmulke or tzitzis, to behave with a set of morals and values that we can all be proud of every day, all the time. Will they bat a thousand? No way. No one bats a thousand. But that should be our goal. Not capturing a vote. Better to lose with dignity and honesty than to win through deceit. I'm not suggesting that's how he won, but it's left a decidedly sour taste in too many people's mouths and leaves us in a position of defensiveness when we shouldn't. Let all of us, whether it's President Obama making promises for Democratic parties to be, Our Prime Minister Netanyahu, or you as a physician, or you as an accountant, or you as a builder, or you as a mom, or you as a dad, let us all follow the path that Vayikra sets out for us, to have a foundation of morality, of purity, of goodness, of doing what's right. And with that strong foundation, may it lead us to a better tomorrow where we don't feel defensive and we can stand tall and proud.